Facebook folds its face recognition, a new email scam for the workplace, and an arrest in the Kaseya case. All that and more on the Naked Security Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. I am Doug. He is Paul. And Paul, a little housekeeping before we start. Our latest threat report is now available, wherein we tackle malware, mobile, machine learning, and more. So I wouldn't call it housekeeping, Doug. I'm quite excited by it. A lot of people are skeptical about threats report, as you might jokingly call them, because they're so often just vendor show-off things. They replace science with sensationalism. They replace advice with advertorial. And there's none of that. Yeah, one man's uh, housekeeping is another man's happy threat report day, as you say in the Yeah, you don't have to read it all. I recommend you do, because it's not one of these 300-page tomes like some threat reports. But you can just dip in where you want, and there's something in there for everybody. I enjoyed it anyway. And we have a nice little overview inside the article itself by our own Chester Wisniewski. He describes the kinds of things you can expect to read about. and. Yes. Uh, I loved the work there. Exactly two minutes and 20 seconds of video. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anyone who uses Twitter will know why. So we we wrote the article and I just said, I'm not going to write a report about the report. I'll let Chester tell you. And there's subtitles so you can just watch that. Importantly, this isn't one researcher who's gone out and written a book. This isn't one department in Sophos, like say, just Sophos Labs. We're going to tell you about malware. It's a great mixture of Sophos Labs, Sophos Managed Threat Response, Sophos Security Operations, and Sophos Artificial Intelligence. That was a lot harder to say than I expected it was going to be. Well, you nailed it. And a true team effort here as it is every year. So you can go download that. Read about it first on Naked Security. It's Sophos 2022 Threat Report, Malware, Mobile Machine Learning, and more. And Paul, we like to begin the show with a fun fact. And my fun fact for you this week is that web browsers, they come and go unless you're Lynx, L-Y-N-X, a text-only web browser that has been with us. I had that, I had that featured in a Naked Security comment from me just the other day. It was the Edge article we spoke about last week that created all the controversy. And I said, <laughs> well, just use Lynx with a Y. Yeah, just 1990... been with us since 1992, a whopping 29 years. And it just got its most recent update on October 24th. That makes it the longest-running web browser ever. You know that there's links with an I as well. I did see that, not to be confused with. For some links with a Y users, that is dangerously modern, Doug. That's like like adopting electric light. But yeah, L-Y-N-X. If you've got Linux and you didn't know about links... Open a command prompt and type links with a Y and uh, see where you go. My favorite feature in that program is if you hit Q, because it's a console interface, if you hit Q, it says, do you want to quit? And if you say no, it says, excellent. (laughs) (laughs) Good old links. They don't make them like they used to, Doug. Nope. Except this one, they, they make it like they used to, and they've been making it like they used to for 29 years. Yeah. And as we switch back to the modern, Facebook has announced that it's going to throw out its face recognition feature and delete all the template data. And uh, I think the official wording was, I'm paraphrasing, but it's going to shut down the face recognition system to limit the use of facial recognition. So that got some people bent out of shape. It certainly did. 
that first comment, what did that person say? Aha! They've got rid of something people didn't like. They're up to something. Gotcha. And I don't want to sound like I'm vigorously going into bat for Facebook. I'm quite neutral about this, but I, I can't see that there's a huge negative in it. I mean, the wording is interesting. They've said face recognition with capitals, it, which uses the technology which we know as facial recognition, the general term for it. The face recognition feature, which is where they go through other people's photos that other people have posted and say, hey, we found you online, which some people love. Like if you like to be known, if, you're, if you want to find out who's interested in you online and go and add a comment and join in and whatever, this is a fantastic feature for you, I imagine. But apparently only it was opt-in, bless their hearts, so they didn't make it compulsory for everyone, but you could sign out if you didn't like it. And only about a third of people turned it on. So I, I'm assuming Facebook figured, you know what? Some people really don't like it. We kind of get the point. And it's not like a feature that people are absolutely clamoring for. So we're going to get rid of that aspect. What they haven't done is said, we will never use facial recognition, the technology, anywhere in our metaverse holding company business ever again. And some people, are, as you say, were bent out of shape about that, saying, oh, this is very partial. They should give it all up or none of it up. And I think it would be a bit short-sighted of any company to say, we will never use facial recognition technology again, particularly if it becomes a widely accepted and enjoyed authentication form, like it is on many phones these days, iPhone and Android. Instead of using a fingerprint, you look into the camera to say... Well, we're never, ever going to allow anybody to use that in any of our products, even though it's actually quite popular and surprisingly useful compared to not locking your phone at all. It'd be a bit silly to throw out the baby, the bathwater and the bath. Yeah, and I think one thing that you pointed out in this article was, you know, for people that are really interested in seeing where they've ended up inside Facebook by being recognized and like that sort of thing, this was probably a useful feature. I had it turned on not because I want to see where I'm ending up on Facebook, but more that I wanted to see where I'm ending up on Facebook. Yeah, and that exactly. I would get messages. I would get an email like, you, are, you appeared in this person's picture. And I'm like, where did they get that? You know, so it was more to kind of keep tabs on where I was appearing across this platform that I, that I rarely use. Yes, and that was a point that Facebook made. They said, look, that it's not all bad, even if you don't like it, because... Sometimes we'll find your face in somebody else's profile picture. Good inference from that is fake account. Now, Facebook and fake accounts, I know that's a whole nother can of worms. But, you know, the idea of using facial recognition to see what's going where and who's pretending to be whom, it's not all evil or implicitly or automatically bad. So, like I said, I was fairly neutral about this. To find the fact that they're doing something that might actually be a good thing, to find that that in itself must be sinister, that seems terribly sad <laughs> to me. I think there are probably bigger cybersecurity things to worry about right now. And the good news is, whether you like it or not, you don't really have to do anything because it appears for a lot of people to already be gone. And uh, so you, whether you opted in or have not opted in, you did, it's it just disappeared, so... And they'll, they'll slowly but surely be deleting all the, the template data that they had amassed uh, over the years. So Yes, that template data, as I understand it, is metaphorically, it was like 
a fingerprint of your facial photo or your facial features mm-hmm. that allowed them to determine that a face in some other photo was a high likelihood to match yours. So that data that, that could match you up, they're going to throw that away. So like you said, yes, you don't have to do anything. Okay, that is Facebook to throw out face recognition. Delete all template data on nakedsecurity.sophos.com. And Paul, the next story, you got an email that said, Duck, I am on my way to the Sophos office. Why didn't you inform us about customer complaint in PDF on you? Please call me back now. Hey, here's the link to the PDF I was talking about. From your boss, Adam Williams? Adam Williams. I got two. Apparently, I have two bosses. Uh, one's called Amanda. She's the Sophos outsource assistant. And uh, I forget what Adam's job title was. This was a Sophos main manager assistant, yeah. which no. I don't believe is a title here. But No, it isn't. And Amanda fortunately spelt complaint with two Ps. She did, yeah. Uh, and I don't... Complaint. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether that was because the crooks got wind of the fact that some recipients were filtering on the word complaint temporarily. It wasn't just Sophos who got it, but it was a one of those targeted fishes, spear fishes, that actually doesn't require a lot of personal data to do the targeting. And if you think about it, in mine, the only thing that's really needed is an email that I've ever sent. So it could be you've received an email from it sometime, or your computer got hacked, and my email address got sucked up from their computer because all my emails, they have the from header, will say Paul Ducklin, and then in angle brackets, duck at sophos.com. And from that alone, even if that's all the crooks get, because people go, oh, why should I worry about my email address? Well, in that simple ASCII text, you've got the name that my email client will use to talk to me, duck, probably a good guess that that's how I'm known. That's the name I use at work, or what people call me, amongst other things. And if I'm not at gmail.com or at outlook.com or at yahoo.com, then probably what comes next is my employer. Probably. So to replace the name of the company is easy. To call me by my name is easy. And then I guess they're just hoping that I'm frontline support or call center staff who regularly are in the firing line of, let's be quite honest, customers who throw their toys out of the cot and go, oh, I'm going to tell your boss on you. You know, I'll tell teacher. If you ever worked in support, that happens all the time because people think that it's their way to be more important. They threaten you that they'll complain to the boss. You go, okay, I'll pull some strings and I'll, I'll jump you to level two faster or I'll give you some secret number you can call or, I don't know, I'll magically refund you twice your money. or I don't know what people think. So, you know, it's pretty much par for the course and hardly any of those complaints ever come to anything, do they? They've had the cathartic moment they needed and then they feel better about it. But when someone does complain and you work in support, then you know that, well, or it's going to be investigated, there's going to be a procedure and somebody, some higher up is, if they've been shouted at because of something that you're alleged to have done, you know it ends badly. And so I can see why, even though there are spelling mistakes and it's, there are no main manager. What does a ma- main manager manage? Main manager assistant. Now, this is the, uh, the assistant to the main manager of Wow. Sophos. 
And you can see the there's a couple images in this article that show what the emails look like. And every longtime listeners of this podcast know that I'm a stickler for spelling and grammar in scams like these. But what I like, that giant air quotes, what I like about this one is it works to not have good spelling or grammar, or it's okay to not have perfect spelling or grammar because it looks like it's coming from a frustrated and flustered coworker from some nebulous department that may or may not exist at your company. So the, the scams that come from shipping companies or proper company emails that aren't spelled correctly have all these errors. This It kind of works here because it looks like it's just coming from someone inside your company and the, the idea is to get you to click on this link as quickly as possible. And when you do click on the link, then what happens? Then you get tipped off, at least in the first instance. Yes, you do. I received one early morning UK time and the other batch that I got came a bit later when the crooks had obviously realized maybe this scam campaign wasn't working as well as they'd hoped. The first one, you click on the link and it's pretty obvious from the URL that it's a Microsoft cloud hosted website. Now that gives it a sort of legitimacy, but you know that you know when you go to Microsoft cloud sites, there are Microsoft things happen next, don't they? Like you get <laughs> OneDrive or SharePoint, mm -hmm. you don't get, hey, Google here's Drive. a Google Drive file. <laughs> so they fixed that pretty quickly. And then they came back with a, a new approach, which was also on a, this one also hosted on a Microsoft-based cloud server. The, the button just says preview PDF, and they put a, an Adobe logo. So, you know, it kind of adds up. It's not Adobe giving me the file. It's somebody at work and if I work in, worked in an outsourced department, I wouldn't necessarily know who my two-up or three-up boss was back at HQ, would I? So I can understand why somebody who's worried about their job and under a lot of pressure, the kind of person who's in a call center, I can understand why someone would open this, and I don't think you would be justified in shouting at them too hard. And then when you open it, it's, it's not a poison PDF after all. It is, and this has happened to all of us who have tried to open a PDF at some point, Oh, hey, you need to install this thing first. Yes. It says, install Adobe PDF component. Trusted app, publisher, Adobe Inc., version 1.7.0.0. And it's a kind of installer that many users may never have seen. And many sysadmins may not have worried too much about blocking. It's basically the modern style Windows app, the UWP app, shipped as what's called an app X bundle. In other words, it's the same delivery package delivery format that Microsoft uses on its own Microsoft store. So it kind of seems legit. Of course, if you think to click on the thing that says trusted app, because it is a little blue link, and you're not in your browser, which also makes it seem a little bit less suspicious, or your email client, you're in the Windows, Microsoft Windows app installer that installs Microsoft store apps and allows people like businesses to publish their own apps using the same technology. If you click Trusted App, you would expect it to come up and say signed by Adobe, but it doesn't. It's signed by some random accounting company from the southeast of England somewhere. And my guess is that in some intrusion at some time, some crooks have come across and sold on a private code signing key for this company. Maybe Microsoft could look at changing that wording does the padlock in your web browser mean it's a trusted website? No, it means your connection to the website's encrypted. It doesn't mean the site isn't peddling fake news or full of malware downloads. It exactly. means the traffic's encrypted. And here, trusted app means there is some accountability because 
this was actually signed with a certificate that traces back to somebody. Whether or not that person actually did the signing can't now be told, because, as we know, crooks love to get their hands on other people's fountain pens and <laughs> forge their signatures on important documents. And if you go ahead, then it will, in fact, install the app, which has the name, I think it's called like securityupdate.exe or something. It's kind of believable, but it is nothing to do with Adobe. It's nothing to do with the PDF. There is no customer complaint against you. What happens is the program will run and apparently do nothing. Oh dear, it didn't work. I wonder what's going on. But the crooks are now in amongst your stuff. So the first thing they do is they exfiltrate some basic data about your computer, presumably in case they want to rent it out and lease it out to the next crook. Yes, they want to know, hey, what motherboard have you got? How much RAM have you got? How much free disk space have you got? Always useful to know when you're deciding whose zombified computers are good for which tasks. Yeah, so like which one are we going to use for zombies? Which ones are we going to use to mine cryptocurrency now that we have all the specs for each of these computers? Yeah, exactly. Because some cryptocurrencies require huge amounts of free disk space for mining. Some require huge amounts of CPU power, regular CPU power. Other tasks, like password cracking, that can be optimised for some in some approaches by having lots of memory available and so on. So the crooks just find that out up front just so they can categorise their victims for later. But most importantly, it is a zombie malware or a bot. And as you know, a bot, short for software robot, becomes part of a botnet by calling home to the crooks and saying, here I am. And that means the crooks can reply by saying, hey, here's some more malware. And off you go. So this is not the end of an attack chain. It's the beginning of the next one, sadly, if you get infected Mm -hmm. by this. So what's the difference between this, if any, and other types of bots or zombies? I think the biggest two differences here are clever, and I'm doing the big air quotes now, Doug, social engineering. They're just going, customer complaint, you work in support, you're outsourced, you've got to see this and you kind of know you're going to do it because that's the way of the world. And the other thing is, when you get to the malware, it is visually a little bit different probably from any other malware, possibly even any other software you've installed before. In other words, it doesn't say, hey, you have to download this thing, you have to save it here, you have to open all those detailed instructions that some malware guys give you to make sure you don't mess it up. Yeah, run this macro. You have to run this macro or it won't work. It has the digital signature because that's actually necessary for app installer bundles to work. I guess maybe that's why the crooks don't do this often, because they can't just easily knit their own, which would run on anybody's computer. It just feels a little bit different. It's a new social engineering trick, if you like. I certainly haven't seen that before. Apparently, Doug, our SecOps guys told me this morning, the next wave of this that these crooks have gone on to do goes along the lines of, Hey, you know you ignored the complaint. Well, guess what? You're fired. Click here to read your termination notice. That will get your attention. Mm. <laughs> and like oh, you say, man. it's Adobe PDF component. It's, all, it's happened to all of us genuinely once or twice, hasn't it? You get a PDF and it uses some special Adobe features that your browser can't handle and you have to go and download you know, a specific program. It can happen. I think a lot of people who know about app bundles have tended to associate them with the Microsoft Store. There's a registry setting or a a group policy setting where you can say, don't let my staff use Microsoft Store. 
I'll send them the apps. Maybe they're not aware that you can actually set up your own web server to use the same technology. You serve up a special XML file, which says here are the app bundles you need, and the app bundles say here are the embedded apps you need. Maybe there are sysadmins out there who know about these things, but they kind of figure, ah, oh, that's a bridge I, I'll cross when the time comes. And if you're in that camp, sadly, the time came. There's yeah, the bridge, sure best cross. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we have a comment by Ian here who says, I like the suggestion of having a formal official procedure for dealing with all complaints, but this requires buy-in from top and education for managers, staff alike. In too many companies, the official procedures are regarded with distrust and people find ways to avoid giving senior managers an opportunity to threaten them. So yeah, to have a, some sort of procedure where if you get a complaint, this is how it is logged and cataloged, this is how you're made aware, not some frantic email saying, I'm on my way to the office, and I'm, uh, call me right away. It's almost a classic example of shadow IT. If you, had a, if you have a procedure for things like this, then not only do your staff know what to expect, Perhaps even more importantly, they know what not to expect. Good images, good advice. That article is customer complaint, email scam, praise on your fear of getting into trouble at work. We'll keep an eye on that on nakedsecurity.sophos.com. It is time for a segment we like to call This Week in Tech History. Well, we talked about long-running web browsers earlier in the show. And this week, on November 9th, 2004, Mozilla announced the launch of the Firefox web browser. Features included pop-up blocking, online fraud protection, integrated third-party search, tabs. Tabs were so exciting. Extensions and easy migration from other browsers. Now, Firefox was downloadable, or if you liked, and if you recall, it could be purchased on a CD from the Mozilla store. I've heard of CDs, Doug. They're kind of like records, only smaller. Is that right? They are. I have a CD, a compact disc is what it stands for, a CD-ROM, read-only memory, drive on my desktop. I'm looking at it right now, and I have never opened it. If I'm afraid to press the button, I don't know what's going to pop out. A coffee cup holder, obviously. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Firefox, eh? Firefox, eh? They had Firebird, but that turned out to be used by someone else. So they decided to give up on it, and they adopted the famous fox that is in fact a panda yep not a fox red panda not that was another fox. fun red fact panda. from a show past tapped browsing that a lot of was people said what is the point of this so great why do i want two browser windows where i can only see one it's idiotic <laughs> well i hope you didn't invest in your multi-windowed browser company <laughs> too hard because yep. oh. <laughs> i i do sometimes open a second browser window in the same browser but it's usually by mistake, <laughs> like where I hit control N instead of control T for some reason. Like, oh, why would I want two windows? This is wasting space. Yeah. Well, I could just have two tabs. How times change. Those were the days. Fun. All right. Well, thank you, Mozilla, for Firefox. Keep up the good work. And our next story, we talked last week about Europol announcing the targeting of 12 suspects in ransomware attacks. Yes, it was a careful word, that, wasn't it? No yes, it was. arrest. No court case. No charged with offences there was the word interrogation or interrogate and there was the word forensic analysis mm -hmm. uh, and this time it's different lo and behold yep because a ransomware <laughs> suspect was nabbed in poland and six million was Correct. seized from a colleague of his who has gotten away so there are two parts to this story one is 
a press release from the United States Department of Justice, because obviously they're very keen on speaking to anyone involved with the Kaseya attack, which is it's almost become like the the legendary word for mega attack, hasn't it? Like mm-hmm. where you break into one company and realize, hey, <laughs> we just broke into the room which has all the safe deposit boxes in it. And Europol also put out a release about, an, I think, another five people who'd been arrested elsewhere in Europe. So the guy was arrested in Poland. I presume the interest of the DOJ is they, I imagine, want to have him extradited to the US because of the Kaseya connection which they think they can prove, and not just Kaseya, by the way. And Europol are saying the other side of that news is it's not just that one guy. We did get some other people who are also involved with Reveal and other ransomware clans, if you might call them that. And Europol's release is interesting because it suggests that their suspects have been responsible for about 7,000 attacks in total. The ransomware demands they've made doesn't mean this is what they've got, but just to give you an idea of the scale of how much they thought they could squeeze out of people who didn't just get attacked but also then got infected and scrambled, I think that number seems to come to around 1,500 people. 200 million euros, if you don't mind. Whoa. A lot of euros. If you divide that number out by what sounds like 1,500 victims out of 7,000 attacks, if we assume those numbers are roughly correct, you come up with about 130,000 euros that they expected victims to pay, which jives with our uh, threat report numbers. But that scale of 7,000 attacks, 1,500 victims, 200 million demanded, we don't know how much they got, but we do know that the person who didn't get caught in the Polish arrest, presumably because he didn't try and go to Poland, and he probably won't now. Uh, Maybe not, He yeah. had six million in assets seized. The DOJ didn't say what those assets were, but I spy with my little eye something beginning with Bitcoin, I would suggest, hmm? <laughs> in amongst there. Maybe other things as well. So maybe, like we said last week, wow, maybe the worm has turned. Well, maybe the worm has turned some more because it does look as though law enforcement around the world are starting to make some serious inroads into this criminality. Because that Europol release as well, Doug, they obviously they they wanted to draw attention to this. Was it three arrests at various times this year by police in South Korea? And remember when we spoke about the clock busts in Ukraine with the BFG, the big fat grinder Mm -hmm. that used to open the door? South Korean police were there as observers. Now we know why. Mm -hmm. So three people busted in in South Korea. And I believe someone was nabbed fairly recently for being part of this same scene uh, in Kuwait. So although there aren't hundreds of arrests, and you imagine there are hundreds, possibly even thousands of ransomware criminals out there, it's not just, oh, well, we, we think we may have got one person. As Chester mentioned in Chester, who did the video for the threat report that we mentioned at the top of the podcast, he wrote an article about you know, where ransomware is going, said it's good that law enforcement seems to be getting deeper into the scene and disassembling it more vigorously, but that's not the same as making it stop entirely. That could be a long way away or never. So in other words, the crooks are learning and adapting. 
we have to learn and adapt to. All right, we will keep an eye on that. That article is yes. called Kaseya Ransomware Suspect Nabbed in Poland, 6 million seized from absent colleague on nakedsecurity.sophos.com. And it's time for the oh no of the week. And this comes from user Happy Dutchman on Reddit, who that sounds like a delightful disposition. He says, in the northern part of the Netherlands, there were two offices connected to each other via a pair of rooftop dishes. If this gives you any indication of how long ago this was. I'm guessing there were no hills in the way. In well. This story, with cows on them. Yes, not, yes, not this one, but uh, strap in and hold on because uh, something's coming. The client complained frequently that the remote office would be unavailable for several minutes at various times throughout the week. Each time a technician had a look, the problem would have disappeared and could not be replicated. After a few months, a few months of trying different things, and get this, all hardware bits had been replaced, one technician came up with a diagnostic plan. The plan in question was to take a lawn chair to the roof and sit next to the dish on one of the roofs and look at the other dish. That person was thinking on their feet. Yes, or sir. Their backside. Hey, yep. pay me to go and sit on the because I presume it'd be a nice. Yeah, a nice take my lunch up there. And, yeah. Yep. It took several hours, but then it happened. About halfway between the dishes, a bridge in one of the canals opened up to let a boat pass. <laughs> The fix was easy, move both dishes oh. to the side a bit so the bridge was no longer in line of sight. That is, uh, that's got to be hugely, those are hugely frustrating when you get a tech out and say, I can't replicate it. I don't know what's going on. Good troubleshooting. Great troubleshooting. You know, a nice time, go maybe go and sit up there with a laptop or a book and a nice cup of coffee and see the bridge going up. And if you've ever seen some of the canal bridges in the Netherlands, they're quite dramatic. I was once in a taxi going from Schiphol Airport or something, and we were flying along the freeway, and suddenly the driver started slowing down. There's a little red light flashing. I thought, oh, what, what's happening? He said, oh, there, there's a canal here. The bridge is coming up. It comes up frequently for ships. And the whole freeway lifted up in front of us. Basically, it was a vertical wall dozens of metres high. It was quite amazing. And huh. it came up fast. And then this giant ship, because, you know, English canals tend to be quite modest in size to save water. They're very narrow. And the whole freeway came up. And I thought, oh, golly, this tailback. We'll be here for hours. The boat went whizzing through. The bridge went down. And everyone was off. Probably set us back no more Several than minutes. two and a half minutes. Yeah. Well, two minutes, 20 seconds. One Twitter video. Yeah, and then and I thought, wow, that's the connection efficient. to the remote office. <laughs> but believe me, if you had any radio waves, any electromagnetic radiation that aimed at that bridge, when the wall went up, you weren't going to be penetrated. Because you imagine the other side is a whole metal lattice to hold it all together. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's going to be quite a good shield. You might get your signal back, sort of bounced back. So they moved the dishes. Good example of an oh no turning into an oh yes. Yeah. So good job by the technician there. And if you have an oh no that you'd like to submit, we'd love to read it on the podcast. You can email tips at sophos.com. You can comment on any one of our articles, or you can hit us up on social at Naked Security. That is our show for today. Thanks very much for listening. For Paul Ducklin, I'm Doug Ameth, reminding you, until next time, to stay, stay secure. secure.